Calling all Arizona attorneys. Where are my brothers and sisters at? I hope you are ready to be educated and inspired, or at least entertained, because it is time for Cluff's Notes on Arizona Lawyer Life. I'm your host, Arizona attorney, Brig Clough. I am joined by my good friend, Mike McGee. Um, Mike has, I've known Mike since first day of law school. I think we both stood out uh, right at first because Mike had the longest hair of anybody in law school. That includes the women. I mean, it was like down, uh, I mean, not to your waist, but man, it was long. Well, by that point, I I'd, I'd, uh, I don't remember it being quite that long because I remember cutting it back six inches at a time every six months before law school. Oh, you're kidding <laughs> me. Wow. Yeah, at one point, I had already cut it back significantly by the time you met, met me. Well, I, it was at least mid-back, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, okay. I mean, you were full rocker. And so that's... That's why you stood out, and I stood out because I looked like I was 11 years old. Go ahead, admit it. Well, you know, you, you know what stood out was that you were the only one of the young guys that had a baby. Yeah, that, that made things even weirder, didn't it? Oh, the 11-year-old? Uh, <laughs> I had two babies. No, 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 no. I just had one baby at the time, I guess. Yeah, you just had three. Yeah, yeah that's right. Because she came to our flag football games. Oh, my goodness. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Do you remember the name of our team? You know, I couldn't remember that. I was thinking about that, you know, last week when we were talking about doing this. I remember most of the people that were on our team, but I don't remember the name of our team. Well, I was pretty... I was pretty impressed with the name of our team. I think it would be a good name for a band... Not that we don't already have the best name for our band, but um, that's true. Our flag football team was the Ambulance Chasers. That was us. I thought so. I thought that was Scott's band. I thought that was Columbo's band. Uh, I mean, band? I mean, flag football team. Oh, okay. Well, I might be. I might be confusing the names. I think uh, we were the. the were we the descent or something like that? Because we always lost, but we made some good points. <laughs> oh, yeah. That that would make sense, too. Yeah. I think um, we were, that might have been that might have been a softball team. We were the respectful dissenters. Not really that respectful, but definitely dissenting. Well, Mitch organized our team, so I should I should call him and ask him what our team was called. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. So we do have a a name for our band, but I don't I don't think it's actually appropriate for the podcast. I, I think we just uh, I think we just keep that between us. Oh, I think I definitely think we should put that out there on the podcast. You think that's okay for the podcast? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay, go ahead. Put it out there. Okay, so uh, Brig and a couple of our friends were, and I were 
texting about when we were going to meet for a movie, and <laughs> I I texted the term ass much chaps, or intended to, referring to Brick's favorite uh, form of attire. Yeah, what I and, usually wear to our get-togethers. Yes, and autocorrect turned it into ass with chaos. <laughs> and then I said, hey, that would be a great name for a band, and then the band was born. Yeah, we got the name for our band. Um, now we just, we, what we really need to do is probably have some band practice. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. The problem is it's all guitar players. Yeah, I, I don't even know if Larry does play the guitar, frankly. I don't think he does. Well, there's three guitar players and Larry. Um, I'll bet he could play the tambourine. And just 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 dance the triangle, yes. So, Mike, um, we we go way back to law school. We were friends um, all the way through law school, and um, the long hair is gone. I mean, it is so gone now, right? All the hair is gone. I mean, it is all gone. So, you have probably undergone the biggest transformation. Uh, well, actually, I'm sure there have been bigger transformations that have uh, happened because you're, you're, you've stayed in really good shape. But, man, the hair, it's, it's from one extreme to another. <laughs> yep. Well, when I uh, finally started cutting it off, I realized that I was going bald pretty quick. And eventually I just shaved it off. You know, Mike, you might be um, proud of what um, what I've done with my hair game during the pandemic. <laughs> I mean, what have you done? Uh, well, I've done nothing basically. I've, I've let it grow. This is the longest my hair has been since high school. Uh, I mean, it's probably been mid February since I've had it cut, and it's a whole new me. My wife hates it. How do you feel? Well, I feel pretty good. Uh, my brothers really are encouraging it. They've got longer hair, and they are totally on board with me joining the long hair club. Um, but Camille doesn't like it very much. She uh, and she's fairly she's fairly honest about it. Brutally honest, I'd say. Well, even if I could grow hair, my wife likes the bald look. She doesn't even like to look at pictures of me when I have my long hair. Really? Yeah. She's horrified by it. I would actually like... She doesn't want to watch old band videos. She doesn't want to see any of that. She tries to pretend it never happened. Oh, man. I don't know. You know, I'm actually, that makes me happy because um, she's going to come around. I know she's going to come around. And it's going to be like a, a whole new layer of Mikey that she will get to love. And it's, that's going to be good. I look, I look forward to that for you. <laughs> I, um, well, I don't think I'll ever get her to like boxing, and I'm pretty sure I'll never get her to like long hair. Uh, but what about metal? Is she a metal fan? Oh, no. She is not. My daughters are. Yeah, I know. You've, you've trained them well. 
You know, Mike, I, I have to admit metal is one of those things that I never was able to get into. I mean, I just wasn't into it. And it's only been really fairly recently that I've decided I need to make more of an effort to to learn to appreciate heavy metal because Mike Mike loves it so much. I need I need to see what what this is all about. And so I I have I've got like a playlist, um, you know, an Apple uh, compilation. You know how they compile the, you know, the different playlists. And I've got a metal list that I listen to every now and then. So I've got that going for me, which What's is nice. That list? Well, I'd say that there's a fair amount of Black Sabbath on the list. There's some Metallica on the list. It's all Those right. Those are a good place to start. But, you know. We're, we're here on a lawyer lifestyle podcast, and something that has baffled me ever since I started practicing law is I really have no idea how anyone practices law without metal. I, yeah. I can't for the life of me understand how anybody could. I could see how it would be um, a really good coping mechanism. And there's, as you're saying that, there's certain lawyers that are, I, like I just said, I'm really not a metal guy. I am a rocker. You know I'm a rocker. But just never never been about the metal. Although, listen, I am warming up. And would you consider ACDC metal? No, they're just a great hard rock band. Okay. One of the best ever. But All right, because I, I, I love ACDC. Metal. But if, you're, if they're not heavy metal, then, then that doesn't... Uh, I guess that doesn't no, qualify. You mentioned, I mean, Black Sabbath. You mentioned Black Sabbath. They were the original heavy metal band. There are some lawyers I'm thinking of right now, opposing counsel, that I just know that I would like them more if they were uh, if they were metalheads. No doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. I, 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 see, I can think of a few like that myself. Yeah. So, Mike, uh, you you up and moved to Virginia recently. You spent your whole career here in Arizona, and then... 28 years in Arizona. Dang. And now you're a Virginian. Yes, I am. You're living months. right at the, in the capital of the Confederacy. Yep. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I live about, uh, about 15 miles away from the statues you see on the news that are either coming down or there's a standoff there. I'm just on the outskirts of Richmond, which is a really beautiful city and a really neat place to live. That's cool. And and yet you are, even though you're living on the other side of the country, you're maintaining your practice here in Arizona, right? I sure am. I, uh, I did get a license in Virginia, but I, Frankly, still don't even have one Virginia case, and uh, I've got plenty going on in Arizona, and I plan to continue with my practice in Arizona because I run 100% referral, and I've always run 100% referral, and um, they're still coming in, obviously a little slower now because of COVID, but I have an office in Phoenix with, uh, with two employees, and, you know, it, it's really not much different. I stand in my, my office while... Well, now it's my home office, and I work on cases, and I'm working on 
you know, most of the same cases I was working on, you know, a year ago when I was getting ready to leave. Uh, I'm just, I'm in Virginia, not Arizona. Yeah. And I, I figured out, I don't know, probably about four or five years ago, I started to get the idea that I could probably do something like this because I don't know about you, but in my experience, uh, in recent years, people have, clients in particular, have wanted to come in and meet less and less. In fact, it used to be very rare that I didn't meet a client in person. And now it seems like that's more often than not. You know, they call you on the phone, they tell you about your case, you wanted to set up a, a meeting with them, and they're like, okay, just email me the paperwork, and I'll send it back. Mm. And I, you know, I start, as, as that started out more and more, I, I would say, well, why do I even need to be here? Um, you know, there are weeks, weeks, a month at a time sometimes where I didn't see a client in person because, you know, we didn't have a deposition coming up or anything like that. So, uh, I started looking into it and I even started, you know, kind of testing, testing whether I could work out of the office by, you know, working from home or go on vacation. And I'd just try to work a little more. And I thought, I thought I could make it work. And we went for it in September of last year. And I was basically about six months ahead of the curve. Yeah, that's right. Forced remote working was right around the corner, and you just had no yeah. idea. You know, the biggest problem of working, of living on the other side of the country from your office, is the time difference. Yeah, that's what Not I was going to say. The physical distance. It's the time distance. I mean, right now it's pushing three o'clock here, but there it's just you know close to noon. Yeah, I think that I get what you're saying about the time zone challenge. Um, but I do think that you have it, uh, the, the zones are working in your favor. I have yeah. a friend that's in Hawaii that's doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, he's got this, the same time zone. It's three hours from here. But he's, he's behind everybody. And so I think that just, I don't know. It, yeah, it just, no, I, I agree because you got to get up earlier in the morning. And yeah. Yeah, that's if cool. You've got an eight thirty. If you've got an eight eight thirty telephonic conference, you had some kind of scheduling conference or something. And if you're in Hawaii, you got to get up and be ready for that by five thirty in the morning. Yeah. That would, that would be pretty rough. So you're right. It is the time zones to the extent it's favorable. It goes in my favor, but. I also don't like having to transition back into work mode at nine o'clock, but it doesn't happen that often. Transition, you, you know, the only time you can talk to a doctor or something. Yeah. Transition back into work mode at nine o'clock. Yeah. I thought you were a, I thought you took this seriously, Mike. I thought you were one of those lawyers that, you know, all day, all night, nine o'clock. I'm just, I'm getting ready to take my second break of the day. Oh no. no. Not me anymore. Ever since I ever since I became a dad, I uh I've been done by five o'clock. 
I don't take that time away from my girls. Mm. Unless it's unless I'm really swamped, you know, or I got to trial coming up. You know, obviously there's exceptions, but for the most part, I'm I'm wrapping it up by five. Wow, good for you. I um, I have always, until fairly recently, been a really long hours guy, um, and I. Uh, oh boy, so much, so much angst over that over the years. Um, it's not that I believe that that's a better way to live your life or to practice law or to anything else. It's just, it, it just always seemed like a necessity to me. Like I, if I don't put in, if I don't work on this until nine or 10 o'clock at night, I, I'm going to sink. I mean, disaster will ensue if I don't get this done right now. I, I felt like that for, oh boy, many years. Recently, you know, just in the last few years, I've, I've kind of changed my, uh, uh, approach. I, I don't know if it's that I've finally figured out how to do things in a uh, reasonably efficient manner, but and I've always put in long hours. Yeah, I, I always did until I, until like I said, until I became a dad, and which was obviously much later in life than than you became a dad. Yeah, well, not everybody starts at eleven years old like me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. So, Michael. In reality, though, you're we're we're three months apart in age, and I think you were a dad. What? How many years? Twenty uh, years before yeah, me, or eighteen yeah. years before me? Yeah. Uh, let's see. My oldest is uh, twenty-two. So yeah. and my your oldest is like four. four. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's a little bit of a gap. Yep. So that's that's kind of cool though, Mike. I um I think that young kids keep you young. And I I look in my own family. I'm the oldest of eight children. Um and my baby brother who by the way just today um he and his wife had their first child. Uh, little baby Evie was born today to Brandon and Emmy Clough. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. She's a beautiful baby girl. Um, but my original point was that I am 21 years older than my baby brother. And, um, in fact, a- as you know, Mike, I I am Mormon, or as you call us. I'm an Osmond. (laughs) We're all Osmonds in my family. Um, And uh, Osmonds, when they turn 19, actually the the ages have changed now. They they send out, Osmonds go out earlier in life now. (laughs) Okay, just to clarify, uh, Mike calls us Mormons Osmonds. Okay, so when I say Osmond, that's what uh, that's what I mean. Donnie you and Marie, them, you know. You got you got to tell them the the backstory of that. The backstory when the new uh, when the new name came out. Oh yeah. The church, 
and it was too long for me to remember. And I just asked, I said, can I, can I just call you the Osmond? Yeah, that's right. You, you signed off on that. I, well, I, how could I not? Um, yeah, so we've long called ourselves and been known as Mormons, um, but that was never really our official name. And the uh, our prophet fairly recently announced, hey, we need to retire that nickname because the real name of our church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when you shorten that to Mormon, you're taking out the name of Jesus from the church, and uh, that's not right. So stop doing that, and so don't call yourself Mormons. Just introduce yourselves as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that is a mouthful. And when I was explaining that to you, you said, can I just call you Osmonds? And I said, yeah, that seems fair. I loved that show when I was a little kid. Oh, man, it was so good. That was, was. Uh, that was uh, appointment TV. And, of course, in our house it was. I mean, it was practically a religious experience for us. The Osmonds and the Dukes of Hazard. that's where it was at for me in the late 70s. Yeah. And Battlestar Galactica. Hey, that's uh, that. It was an Osmond that created that show, you know. Yep, yep. All right. Uh, how did we even get talking about Osmonds, Mike? What was the? Oh, yes. So when <laughs> I turned nineteen, when I turned nineteen, I went on a mission to Hawaii. Not a bad place to go. And just before I got home, it was a two-year mission. My folks had another baby, my little baby brother, Brandon. And so, Mike, you, uh, you know, my folks had this baby when they were, I would assume, probably about your age. So you were what, maybe 43? I was 43. Okay. People would ask me, are you ready? And I would say, I don't know, I'm only 43. I don't know if I'm mature enough for this yet. I didn't think you were. Yeah, probably not. I haven't really matured past the age of eight. Yeah. Yeah, you've still got still some maturing to do, to but I have to say, I, I think that even with your immaturity and, and everything else and the metal and the, you know, I guess it's basically just that. Uh, it does seem like you are a very uh, loving and doting father, so... Uh, I think you're on the right track. Thank you. And you're teaching your girls all the important things. Yes. Care to inform our listeners of uh, what you've taught them about the existence of dragons on the earth? Oh, well, I told them the truth that Ronnie James Dio defeated the dragons, and that's why we don't have dragons anymore. Yeah. They asked me the question, is there such thing as dragons? Are there I said, not anymore. <laughs> what happened to them? And I told them. That is some excellent parenting there. It is. All right. So, so Mike, what? tell me about this uh, adjustment. You, I mean, I think a lot of attorneys actually within the, you know, our generation, I would say, began postponing the that phase of their lives, the the childbearing years, for lots of reasons and for whatever reason, 
I think that that's what has happened. You know, I, I was kind of the last of a uh, uh, of a generation, a dying breed that, you know, I, I was married at age, I guess I was 23, which didn't really seem all that young to me until I got to law school and realized I'm the only person here that's married, me and a couple of other Osmonds. So let's um, let's go back to uh, this this new phase of your life. What, tell me what what were the adjustments that you had to make becoming a father at age forty three? When I come home, once I'm with my girls, I, I do a better job now of uh, shutting shutting work off, which is not something I was ever able to do before. And if I have a pretty bad day at work. If I come home and they come running up, you know, with their arms out, you know, and daddy, daddy, um, the day still isn't too bad. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been the biggest thing for me. It, 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 it's helped me with practicing law because it, it's, I've got this joy in my life I didn't have before. That's cool. I mean, I, I have more of my time. I got, I got my time back that way. I mean, obviously, there's things for me that I haven't been able to. Uh, like I don't get to work on music as much because I, you know, I'm spending more time, you know, with them. So I don't, you know, by the time I get them down and all that, but then it's you know eight, nine at night, and it's kind of late at night to start really jumping in and practicing. Yeah, that uh, might explain why we haven't had even one single band practice. Yeah, I would. Huh. Um, Usually you at know, that point, I just want to sit down and either watch TV or read. But I've been trying to discipline myself a little more to, to get back to working on more music. Yeah, I um, I think that's cool. Uh, for our listeners, what, what Mike earlier said that we're all guitarists, uh, me and... Uh, Mike and Scott Palumbo, and um, I think Mike was being very generous when he was calling uh, me Scott. I, actually, I've never even heard Scott play, so I don't know what Scott plays like. But uh, uh, he was being very generous to call me a guitarist because I'm a hacker. Um, I did I did play the theme song for uh, this podcast. That's me. Um, I can play a little bit. But Mike, you That's are good a stuff too. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it was fun, and my son helped me too. He we, there's two guitars on it. I play one, and he plays one. It was it was really fun to do. Um, but Mike, you are a legit shredder on the guitar. I mean, you're fast and good, and just coming up with all kinds of crazy, creative, cool stuff when you play. So we're really not, we're really not, very much alike when it comes to guitar because I I, I don't even consider myself hardly playing the guitar compared to uh, uh, you're someone. Being, you're being ridiculous now. I saw the video that you posted last week, and well, you were playing bass in that. But yeah, I was I okay. Mean, yeah, I was playing the bass in that. Um, but no, that you were singing and playing at the same time, which I still have a hard time with after. 35 years of playing more than actually more than that now 36 years of playing oh guitar. man yeah and i still i still have a hard time playing and, and singing at the same time i just never 
Curry was very good at that. Well, let me that that is a that is a separate skill. So, um, it's you know playing the guitar is a skill, singing is a skill, and just because you have those two skills doesn't mean you can play the guitar and sing at the same time. That's a different skill. Um, yeah. And so a little bit I've got that skill, but man, I mean I'm. <laughs> Listen, no, I'm just... when when you say stuff like this, though, I mean you're 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 a great guitarist for what you want to do. I mean, if you if it was important to you to do all the shred, I'm sure you could do it. Yeah, it just takes I, time. And, I, yeah, and it does. It practice. takes time and practice. Hey, you you stayed with it and practiced, and that's why you can do what you can do. But and it really is cool. And and you've you've kind of opened my eyes to some really cool aspects of guitar playing that I, I wasn't aware of before. We went and saw the uh, was it Greg Howe? Yep, that was awesome. One of my all time favorites. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and that bassist that was with him, that guy was phenomenal. Yeah, Stu Ham, he's a he's a living legend. He was uh especially in the late eighties, early nineties, he was one of the guys that was on the cover of all the base magazines and he's pretty much a legend. And we were lucky enough to see him play with Greg Howe. It was that was very great. One of the many interesting things about you is you don't really fit the mold that so many of us come from, which is, you know, just kind of uh, had it easy in life as kids. You know, I look, I look back on, on my youth and really my whole entire life. I'm like, man, I've never, I mean, I've had it easy. I've just had it easy, but it hasn't always been that way for you. You've overcome some stuff. Talk a little bit about your background. Well, I, uh, how should I lead into this? I, I didn't have it so great as a kid. Um, there was a lot of issues with my dad. Um, he wasn't really the best guy. And when I was 16, I basically cut off all communication with him and it was around that time that I actually dropped out of high school and although when I dropped out of high school I didn't have this it wasn't like I just dropped off because I hadn't dropped out because I had no plan or wanted to just goof off I actually intended to go to community college earlier and then hopefully go to Berkeley College of Music in Boston but I had other things going on on in my life and high school was just not the right place for me to be. And frankly, that was one of the smartest decisions I ever made. Um, I used to say that that was the second smartest decision I ever made. And the first smartest, the smartest decision I ever made was going back to school. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I got a GED and then I moved out here to Arizona or I moved out to Arizona. I forget that I'm not there. (laughs) And, you know, I, I arrived in Arizona, I had 500 bucks, and I had 78 Ford van, and I got a job washing cars at Danny's Car Wash, and 10 years later, I was a lawyer, and I still have no idea how that happened. 
So you were coming from Philly, right? Yeah. So were your parents cool with you leaving Philly and going to Arizona? Well, it was just it was just my mom. She was she was okay with it. Um, I mean, she was bummed that I was going, but she understood why I was getting away. Yeah, I, I first I went to uh, Mesa Community. Uh, I, I just before I turned twenty one, I I was working two full time jobs. I was working at a I was I was a cook at the Vine, and then I was delivering pizza for Little Caesars, the one location that had delivery in, in Tempe uh, during the day. And like it, for me, it, it a day off was when I only worked one job, and like the 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 band thing had kind of dried up for what I wanted to do because the grunge stuff had come in and was more popular. That's not the kind of music I wanted to play and. I said, well, maybe now it's time to go back to school. If I work tasks as hard as I'm working for the man, for me, uh, I would actually get somewhere. Mm. And uh, so I, I went down and I took some placement tests and for at Mesa Community. And after a year and a half, I transferred to ASU. So in a bizarre twist of fate, uh, Nirvana plays a large role in why you became a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, because I, I I was more into that whole hairband scene, and I moved to Phoenix in August of '91, and my plan was to find a band in Phoenix, move to LA, and make it big. And then six weeks after I arrived in Phoenix, Teen Spirit came out. Mm. And I didn't immediately recognize that that was the end, but within a couple of years, I realized that it was pretty much over. And I just never got into the whole crunch thing. All right, let's shift gears and talk about some litigation tactics. When you go in to try to turn somebody around, it's one thing to make the personal connection with them and um, and kind of get them on your side, wanting to help. And it's another thing to translate that into actual helpful testimony. And so particularly when you're talking about direct examination, right? I I think most lawyers, certainly me, um, feel like cross-examination is fun, right? That's, That's where we get to go in and square off against the witness, and it's a battle of wits, and we can, you know, outmaneuver them and look several moves ahead and all that kind of stuff. But it's completely different in direct examination. How do you get, how do you translate, um, go from recruiting a person, and when I say recruiting, I mean getting them so that they're not, uh, hostile to you anymore they're not trying to hurt you they're they're willing to uh to speak and to try to be helpful how do you get them once they're at that point to actually giving good and helpful testimony well the first thing you have to figure out once you actually start trying to find out what they know is is 
is this person a storyteller? Some people are natural storytellers, other people aren't. And if they're if they're not, you've got to kind of coach them on how to tell a story, you know. And and you know, it depends on what kind of witness it is. Um, get them telling a story. You know, one thing to do is to try to get them to tell the story in the in the present tense and. If you can get them doing that, a lot of times the story will come out. Is is it that you want them to speak in the present tense because you think that that is more powerful for the jury? Oh, it's more powerful, but I think it also, I think when when they actually get back into the shoes they were wearing that day, I think putting them back in the moment helps. Yeah, I can really see that. I have heard... I've heard attorneys talk about uh, giving testimony in the present tense before and that it can be more powerful um, for the jury to experience it that way because it's like they're jumping in a time machine. And there may be something to that. But really, I don't think I've ever, until you just now were talking about it, I don't think I've ever thought about what a big difference that makes for the witness. When they're speaking in present tense, it it automatically puts things in chronological order. Things happen chronologically. They can talk about this happens, and then I saw that, and then, then he walks out and says this, and then I feel the... Yeah, I like that. If you're trying to find out about, you know, before and after type stuff, you know, it helps to meet the client or the witness at their house and look at the pictures on their walls. I mean, I know that uh, Steve Koppel and Chris Koppel have always been big on that. I think you should never try a case unless you've broken bread at somebody's table. I can't say that I've done that, but it sure helps. I certainly have had that happen where I, found something out about the client that I used later that I that I picked out from a, a picture on a wall. Realistically speaking, you can't do that in every case. I mean, No, you can't in every case. But um, it, it's not as though we don't spend enough time. Well, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I, I, I spend so much time if I'm taking a case to trial, just so, so much time. And yet there's always a long list of things that getting ready to to begin the trial that I'm thinking, oh, I wish I would have also done that and that and that and that. And you'll never be able to do everything. There will always be other things that you could have done. And so when I say this, it's not that I'm, suggesting you just need to spend more time in preparing uh, for trial. It's a question of allocation of resources. How are we spending the time? Uh, We spend so much time on things that end up not being that important, yet going and, as you said, breaking bread with the plaintiff's family would teach us an awful lot. But I think that that would probably 
be just about the best use of time that we could we could have is to always meet people in their own homes meet the witnesses in their in their space um i think that would be powerful and it's something that and i know i i, I can do a lot better witness, you, you meet the witness at the scene you know I, i've done that before too yeah. i've actually met them right out there we met at the starbucks down the street and we drove down there together you know i've, I've done that mm. oh i met with a family recently um and walked the scene of this terrible, terrible accident with them where they lost a child. Um, they were pedestrians. And um, we met at their home, and then we walked from their home out to this area where this terrible accident had occurred, which is very close to their home. And um, just being there on the side of the road where it happened, and okay, then this vehicle came up here, and then this. And um, it was such a overwhelmingly powerful experience. I can't imagine trying to handle that case without having had that experience. Well, I just want to say that I'm sad that Arizona has lost the full-time residence of Mike McGee, but I am glad to hear that it doesn't sound like you've moved to Richmond in any kind of an effort to restart the Confederacy, and that is a relief to me to hear that. Oh, no. Yeah. Absolutely not. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, well, Mike, you're a good friend, and I thank you for coming on this podcast. One one of the things about you, Mike, that I, I, I actually I really marvel at is you do, I, I would say, a better job of keeping in touch with people than anybody I know. I mean, we've kept in touch over the years. But I don't have, like, all that many people that I have just kept in touch with for many, many years. Yet, I get the impression that you do. It's, uh, it's remarkable, and I, I think it's awesome. It, it kind of keeps people together. I mean, you're, you're the glue in our, uh, in our band. Assless Chaos would be nothing if it wasn't for you. <laughs> You know what I think it comes from? I think it comes from the blue-collar, you know, really kind of upbringing because uh, back there, like, your entire measure is how well you stick by your friends. I mean, that's that's like literally the only measure, really. Yeah, that's really cool. You know? All right, amigo. Be safe. Stay healthy. We'll Good see you. Good to be on here. Yeah, thanks, thanks. for coming. That is it for this episode of Clough's Notes on Arizona Lawyer Life. Thank you to my guests and listeners. 
Be sure to share this show with all your lawyer friends. And if you have an idea for the show, give me a call or send me an email at brig at cluffinjurylawyers.com. I'll see you soon.